we're going to share a little bit out of some things that I've been learning. So open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 22. And I love it. I love it when the Holy Spirit just puts the message together. As I've taught you before, I think in outlines, and I want to see one point build on another point with an introduction and a conclusion and everything fit together. And I was just standing over there during worship and realizing, God, you're so neat. This is all, you may not see it, but it all fits together. And so I'm excited to look into this, and I believe it'll, it'll help us tonight, because we all need to be helped. Luke chapter 22, is that where I told you to turn? Well, that was right. I just got to get there. And let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your graciousness and your goodness. And we thank you tonight for the Word of God and your faithfulness with your Word. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit and His faithfulness. This is all about you. This is not about us. And Lord, we're here because you love us. You loved us so much you gave your Son's life for us. And you want to touch our lives tonight. You're not mad at us. You're not angry at us. You're not judging us. You love us. We're your children. And you're trying to bring us to a place, Lord, where our eyes are open to who you really are. And that our eyes are open to who you've really made us to be and the grace and the love that you have provided for us, that we would walk in the fullness of that because this world desperately needs to see how good you are. This world desperately needs to see the power of God and the love of God, who you really are. And we've been put here to be witnesses of who you are. And Lord, help us tonight to see more fully how to get to that place. In Jesus' name, amen. Now this is a little... Uh, a, a little section where Jesus is ministering privately to his disciples. And uh, it's interesting because he's come out of a plot to, uh, to kill him, and then he's instituted the Last Supper, and then uh, he's talked about his death. Uh, I'm in Luke 22, is that right? Yeah. Uh, and, um, and, and he's going back over some things that they've been through. He's recalling things that they've been through. He called them about three and a half years earlier, uh, all they knew is they had some revelation that he may be the Messiah, but you know it's like like we are. They may have a revelation one day and the next day they're not so sure. And and even John the Baptist went through that. So it's it's hu- part of our of our humanness. We're learning on Sunday. We're not human, but there is a humanness about us. Is that we leak. What you saw Sunday, we're so fired up on Sunday. Monday it began to leak out. And then that's why we have midweek services, so you can come back and get charged up and filled up again. And that's why we don't just do Sunday morning and Wednesday night. We also have our own time with the Lord during the week, during the day, as you go through the day. What God wants you to do, He wants to walk through your day with you. Not just have a devotion time at the beginning of the day and say, Thank you, Lord. I'm now all set. I'll meet you again tomorrow morning. And that's where most Christians aren't even there. But He wants us to go beyond just, oh, you know... We get talking with him, and the next thing you know, he's, his, his tongue is hanging out. He's ready to talk to us, and we say, well, I've got to go to work. Like we can't talk to him on the way to work. Like we can't talk to him at work. God wants a living relationship with you. 24 hours a day where he's talking to you, he's there with you, living inside of you, and to commune with you. I've got to be careful, I'll get off on this. Anyway, so Jesus has brought them through many kinds of things. He's taught them, he's demonstrated things for them. He's been training them because what he's doing is preparing to leave in just a day or so and to hand this whole thing over to them. And they've got no clue what they're doing. It's amazing what God will entrust to man, isn't it? Because he had no plan B. If the disciples didn't work out, there was no plan B. This was it. And so this is what's happening. So we're going to pick up in verse 28. Jesus is talking here. He says, But you, you are those who have continued with, me, continued with me 
in my trials. You've been through some trials. Now, this comes at the end of a little spat that the disciples had over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, in one account, uh, John and James, their brothers, their mother comes to Jesus. It's a typical mother. Comes to Jesus and says, you know my boys? They're good boys. I just have one thing to ask of you. Because I'm looking forward to the kingdom, oh Lord. When, the, when you get there... I just want one of them to sit on your right and one to sit on your left. I always wondered who she thought should sit on the right. Because the right's the more exalted than the left. And, and it's interesting because we have four children. The, the youngest of two are twins. And they're always teasing us about who the favorite is. And, uh, and they're always teasing about that they're the favorite. And, uh, and so I wonder how, they were gonna work th- how she was going to work this out, but she never got that far. Now, it's interesting, in some of the accounts, the other disciples got jealous because they wanted to be in that exalted position. So what's happened as we look at this discussion is his staff is squabbling over who's first. They've missed it. They've missed the whole message, the whole purpose, but God is gracious. He's still working with them. He hasn't called, withdrawn their call. He hasn't withdrawn their purpose. God, his grace is so amazing. He knows where you were when he met you. He knows where He wants to get you. And He'll walk with you through the ups and the downs, the backsliding and the going forward, the days when, wow, you can walk on water, and the other days where it's like water is all covering over me. He'll walk through you when you think you can, you know, you're every, you're, you think you're the greatest thing, and He'll walk through you the next day when you think you're nothing. And that's what Peter's about to go through. That's what Peter's about to go through. But look how Jesus is gracious. They're fighting over this. And Jesus says, verse 29, I bestow upon you my kingdom just as my Father bestowed it upon me. I mean, this is a staff that's full of strife. And one of them is a traitor, by the way. I bestow the kingdom upon you just as my Father's bestowed it upon me that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones dwelling the twelve, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now Peter's getting emboldened. And the Lord said to him, Peter's just, oh, wow, this is great, God. Whoa, I can't wait. This, you're showing me my future. I mean, of all the saints that are going to come, we're going to sit on thrones and dwell the, the 12 tribes of Israel. Wow. And Peter's the most wow of all. Verse 31. And the Lord said to Peter, Simon, Simon, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Indeed. Satan has asked for you, in some translations say permissions, that he may sift you as wheat. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Let's slow down, Lord. Let's go back to the kingdom, sitting on the throne stuff. I like that better. This sifting as wheat by Satan, no, that doesn't sound like, I'll skip that part, because I want to get to sitting on the throne part. But you understand that Jesus had no casual words. He told us to not have casual words. He's not just saying, this all fits together. He's preparing them for leaving them and giving them some vision of what is to come and some of what they may have to go through before they get there. And here he is telling you, you're going to sit on the 12 of the thrones representing the 12 tribes of Israel, judging them. Wow. And Peter, by the way, Satan's asked permission to sift you as wheat. Now, that's a little hard for us to understand. Some of you that may bake 
My mother was a great baker. She would take flour and she would sift it. She had this thingamajig, she'd shift it. But they didn't have those in the old day. What they did with wheat, because wheat, when you pluck the wheat, from what I understand, you get the, the kernel of wheat, which is what you use for baking the bread, but you also get the chaff, the, the surrounding part of it and little sticks and stems. So what they would do is they would take the wheat, the whole thing, and they would put it in a cloth or maybe even be their own garments, and they would go outside and they would take it and just kind of toss it up in the air like that and catch it. And when they toss it up in the air, the stuff that was light and fluffy would blow away in the wind so that what was of substance would fall back down in their, in their robe or in the sheet or whatever it is they were. So it was, sifting was a method of separating out that which was chaff, that which was fluff. That's what has no nutritional value together with, from that which is of value, that which is of substance. So this is interesting here. By the way, it says in Hebrews chapter 12 that there's going to come a day when there's going to be a shaking in the church. That's like a sifting. Because he said, I talked about this a few years ago and then began to go through some of it. Where He says, where, where everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that what remains is of God. Remember talking about that? And, and it's like beating a rug in the springtime because you can vacuum clean it and then you, but you hang it up, and they used to take, they used to beat it with a rug. And what you found out is there were things in the rug fibers that were not of the rug fibers. And the only way they could get separated out is to shake the rug somehow, because what was not of the substance of that rug wouldn't last. In the same principle here of sifting wheat or of separating the wheat from the chaff. Now, isn't it interesting? I'd love to tell you that's not what it says, but Satan asked to do this. Let me make sure it said that. Save, Satan has asked for you. Who did he ask? He asked God. Wait a minute, this doesn't fit in my, my theology that you know, how Satan was kicked out of heaven. Well, there's some way he has a- access to talk to God. The Bible says he's an accuser of the brethren. He's not just accusing us, he accuses us before God. But aren't you glad the Word of God says we have an advocate sitting at God's right hand? That with every accusation, he says, yeah, they're guilty. What kind of advocate that? But I paid the price. <laughs> they're guilty. They're guilty issues charged, but I paid the price. Next issue. Satan asked permission to sift them. Well, that's interesting. I just saw something I never saw. That means God doesn't sift us. I never thought of that before until right now. James chapter 1 talks about testing. I almost thought about going there, but we're not going to... I don't think we are. No. James uh, uh, talks about testing. He says, but God doesn't, God doesn't tempt us. He can't be tempted, and He doesn't tempt us. So God doesn't test you in that sense, but Satan will come and test you. We're going to look at what he's testing in a minute. Now here's Peter. Having just been given this vision, you're going to sit and judge one of the twelve tribes of Israel, and now his whole vision's crashed because Satan's been given permission to sift him? But remember what sifting does. Sifting separates that which is meaningless, that which was built into your life, separates out that from the part of you that's the genuine, that's of God. Because have you noticed that in walking around in this life, we pick stuff up? Especially now, it's hard today. I mean, we've got, the world has access to us almost 24 hours a day. 
I've shared with you and those of you that have dumb, I mean, smartphones, you know, if you have it, don't set it right, you get these notices show up in the middle of the night. Someone's bombed somebody. So it's very, really good news. And so, so they have access. We're getting bombarded and there's just pressure in this world. And it's trying to, it gets into our life. It gets into our thinking. It gets into our habits. And we're all, we're working to overcome them all the time. And sometimes it feels like it's, you know, it's a, it's an uphill battle. And so, so, so these things can get into our life. And there's sometimes God will allow us to be sifted so that we can see certain things. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. But look what Jesus goes on to say. He doesn't leave him there. Verse 32, But I prayed for you. Not I will pray for you, but I prayed for you. That means before he ever told Peter about it, he'd already prayed him through. So whatever's going on in your life right now, whether you're going through some kind of testing, know this, that you're not going through anything. First of all, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, there's nothing that's coming to you, there's, there's, no, there's no temptation or testing that comes upon you that is not common to man. So Satan doesn't have some unique thing to throw at you. He's just got common weapons that's common to man and that God has not already determined that you can make it, that you can come through. So God's not just sitting in the heavens, oh my gosh, look what happened to Steve. Oh, I never knew that was going to happen. God watches over you more than you. Read Psalm 139 sometime. I've been spending time in there. God watches over you all the time. You're never out of his sight. He's never, you're never off his mind. That's why John, in, in, in James, blah, 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 blah. Uh, slow down, John. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, don't you know your father knows what you need before you ask? Your needs don't catch him by surprise. He knows things you need you don't know you need, which is why we need to listen to him sometimes and talk to him. And he says, so, so he, but here's, Satan's asked permission to test Peter. Why? Oh, Lord, this is neat. Why is he single Peter out? Because Peter was always out in front singling himself out. Peter was the one charging out in front of everybody. Peter was the one opening his mouth, and there were times he was right, and there were times his foot ended up in it. And so what Peter was full of, which we're going to see, was Peter was full of pride. And pride sends alarms off in heaven. We got a live one. Because the Bible said pride goes before the what? Fall. So pride puts a target on you. Because he didn't go after the others, he went after Peter. But also where there's that pride and that target, there's something of value to target. Some of you have gone through some incredible trials. And the reason behind the incredible trials is there's something worth testing. There's something God's put in you that Satan wants to test to try to get you to put it down. Because if you're no threat to him, he leaves you alone. The only reason he bothers you is you're a threat to him. So if you've been under pressure, be encouraged about it because there's something about that that he wants to get after. That means there's something in you you may not see that God sees. So don't give up. Don't give up. All right. But know this, that Jesus is praying for you. 
that your faith would not fail. Ah, what's this all about? Because what's being tested is his faith. We're going to see that. What's being challenged by Satan is Peter's faith. And when you've returned to me, notice not if, when you've returned to me, strengthen your brother. And look at Peter's reaction. This is Jesus telling him it. Jesus is telling him, Peter, Satan's come to sift you like wheat. I prayed you through. And when, and when, you've, when you've come back around, go encourage your brethren. You'd think Peter saying, oh Lord, thank you for praying for me. Thank you for the encouragement. But look what Peter says. See, this is exactly why he was a target. Verse 33. But Peter said to him, Lord, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Lord, what are you talking about? Remember the time earlier when, 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 when the crowds gathered around and Jesus has a huge crowd and Jesus says, you know the reason you're following me is for the food. Not the spiritual food. You're following me for the pizza and the, you know, the, the, the subs and all that stuff. You're, you're following me for the wrong reason. He says, so what you need to do is I'm the true bread of life. So you need to eat me. And my blood is, a true, is the true drink. Of, you need to drink my blood and eat my, bread, eat my body. And they all left. He turns to the disciples and says, are you leaving too? And then he turns and says, well, who do, who do they say I am? And Peter says, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're the great prophet. And he says, well, who do you say I am? He said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood didn't show that to you, but my Father's in heaven. Peter's, wow. Jesus just said, I heard from God. No, the other turkeys didn't. I'm the one that heard from God. Only about five or six verses later, Peter says, and now I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And Peter says, rebukes him for going to Jerusalem to die. He rebukes him for giving his life up for the world, basically. He says, you can't do that. He's telling Peter, he's telling, Peter's telling Jesus, you can't do that. Where do you come off doing that? Lord, you're wrong. You're wrong to die on the cross for us. Peter was so confident in himself, he challenged the Lord. And what does Jesus say? Satan, get behind me. He didn't even ask, talk to Peter. He talked to the Spirit. Remember we don't wrestle against flesh and blood? Okay. So this is the same Peter. Got the same issue. Lord just told him, you're going to be tested, but I prayed you through. Instead of saying, thank you, Lord. It's like, Lord, I didn't even hear it. I know myself. I'm ready to go with you to Jerusalem. I've been, you talked about the trials. I've been through all these trials with you, and I'm ready to go to Jerusalem, and I'm ready, if necessary, to die for you. Verse 34. And Jesus said to him, I tell you, Peter, the rooster is not going to crow. In other words, the sun's not going to come up this day until you deny three times that you even know me. And Peter didn't even get it then. Now let's talk about Peter for a minute because Peter has some experiences with this. Some of them good and some of them not so good. When he first meets him back in Luke chapter 5, Jesus, Peter's been out fishing all night with his fishing company and James and John and they come back and they didn't catch anything. And Jesus shows up and he wants to teach and he teaches, he borrows their boat to teach from and then when he's done, he says, send your boat out for a catch. Now it's the middle of the day and you don't catch fish then in the middle of the day. That's why they were out at night. Not only that, 
They're professional fishermen. Right? That's why they were out fishing. They weren't fishing for recreation. This was their business. Jesus was a professional what? Carpenter. So you got a carpenter telling a fisherman when to go fish. And Peter says to them, But Master, we worked out there all night long and didn't catch anything. So not only is he saying, Look, I'm the fisherman. You don't catch fish this time of day. I, we were just out there and they're not out there. Can you put up verse 5? Luke 5 verse 5. But Simon answered and said, Master, we've told all night and caught nothing. That's his reasoning. I love, these are some of my favorite words in the Bible. But nevertheless, in spite of what we've seen, in spite of what we know, in spite of what our experience says, at your word, I will let down the net. Doesn't make any sense to me. I, my senses don't tell me that there's anything there. It, it doesn't make any sense. But at, because of your word alone, we're going to go back and let our net down. So Peter did great there. And they caught a tremendous catch of fish. Peter did great there. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 14. Jesus has been ministering, sends the disciples to get in the boat and go to the other side. He says, go to the other side. And he stays up on the mountains praying. And while they're out there, a storm comes up. You know the story. And Jesus comes walking to them. <laughs> Sometimes we just spend some time thinking about what it means to be in a boat and seeing someone walking to you on the water. I mean, we know the story well enough. Yeah, she, no, but think about that. You're in a boat and you're in a storm. I mean, we're, it's not glass smooth. I mean, you're in a storm. And see, these are professional fishermen. We established that, right? But because you catch fish out in the water, they're also what? Professional sailors. And they're afraid for their life. This is their, this is their sea. This is their lake. This is their backyard. They're used to storms out there. And this is so bad, they're afraid. They're going to go down. And their fear just gets escalated because while they're in the boat hanging on for dear life, here comes this figure walking on the water in a storm. Picture that. The, feel the wind blowing against your face. The sea blowing against your face. The boat going up and down. You can see the swells of water maybe breaking over the bow of the boat. And you see this figure walking on the water in this horrible storm. And they get even more afraid. And they, he cries out to them and says, Be not afraid, it is I. Let's, but let's go to verse 29. And Peter says to him, right before this, he said, Well, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come. And so Jesus said, Come. And this is still, to me, one of the top two or three amazing stories in the boat. When Peter came down out of the boat, that means the side of the boat was high enough, he had to climb down out of it. While he's in the boat, going up and down, he may be sitting there with his legs over the side, going up and down like this, but he's still sitting in the boat. 
The others are hanging on for dear life. But at some point, he has to turn around and come down. It doesn't say how he did it. He comes down out of the boat and he walks on the water. Remember, there's a storm going on. So the same wind and waves that were going on while they're in the... Oh, this is so good. The same wind and waves that were going on while they're in the safety of the boat. And the safety of that boat was something they were used to. What made that boat feel safe to them is they were used to it. They'd been through storms in this boat before, and they knew that because they knew how to handle this boat, they could get it through it. But this storm's beyond them. It's testing them. And now Jesus says, get out of that safety of that boat and walk on the very thing that's threatening you? Oh, that makes no sense at all. But there are times in your life, there are times in your walk with God, if you want to grow with Him, if you want to be like the eleven that sit in the safety of the boat and just somehow make it to the other side, then you won't go through these kind of tests. But if you want to go to Jesus and be there right where with Him, you've got to, you'll be challenged at some time. I'm speaking to myself tonight, as well as you. You'll be challenged at some time to get out of what's safe. To get out of what you know is safe, what you have experienced with is safe, and to step out on nothing. Put that back up there. To step out on nothing but one word, which was come. Because when Peter gets out on the boat, Peter never walked on water because you can't walk on water. Peter walked on the word come. Because if Jesus didn't send come, Peter steps out of the boat and goes straight down. Peter walked on the word of God. Peter walked on the word that Jesus spoke to him saying, Come, which implies, Peter, you can walk on this water if you're coming to me. And if you're coming to me, you will not sink. And Peter was safer out on the water than he on the word come than he was in the boat without the word. You're safer out on the word of God, trusting in the word of God alone, than you are in the comfort of the boat dealing with your own mechanisms for taking care of yourself whether it's your finances, your health, your family, whatever it is. So Peter's been through this. Go to the next verse. Verse 30. And when he saw the wind was boisterous, like he didn't know it was boisterous, like while he's in the boat, he doesn't notice it's bo- boisterous means it's blustery. You know, he didn't realize that in the boat? No, because when he, got it, when he heard the word come, all he saw was Jesus And all he heard was come. And seeing Jesus and hearing come obliterated in his senses the wind. But somewhere out on that water, he took his eyes off of Jesus, his eyes off Jesus' word come, and he began to look at the natural senses, things his natural senses told him. And they're all telling him, you can't do this. So when you get out on the word... Keep your eye on the Word, because the battle is always, and this is what we're talking about tonight, the battle is always to get your eyes off of the Word of God, get your trust off of God's Word, and onto what your senses tell you and what your reasoning tells you. 
And that's what's being tested. Peter was confident enough that he got out of the boat. But he failed the test. Because somewhere out there he got his eyes off of the word come. And once he took his eyes off the word, he was overwhelmed by what his senses told him were going to happen. But he was smart enough. Because what did he do? He said, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately comes, takes him by the hand, and they go back into the boat. So I went over that because these are some of Peter's experiences that he's had before this night when Jesus tells him, Peter, Satan has come, has asked permission to test you. And what he's trying to test is Peter's faith. Because this is where faith is. You can't tell where your faith is sitting in a blue chair on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. You can't tell where your faith is when the sun's shining on your life, your kids just come and fall at your feet in the morning and say, so what a wonderful parent you are. What can we do for you? We're making plans for your old age to take care of you. What chores can we do today? Oh, Dad, we love you. We thank you're wonderful. The dog just automatically goes and brings your paper to you. Your wife has your coffee ready for you. The boss sends you an email saying, we love you so much. Just take the day off. By the way, you've got a raise. You know, everything's just going. There's no test of faith in this. Oh, I love you, Jesus. This is, oh, the favor of God so wonderful. But what happens when you don't feel the favor? What happens when you feel everything but the favor of God? And so Peter's confident in where his faith is. And Jesus says this strange thing to him. Let's go to, um, let's go to Luke 22. I didn't, I didn't cover something. Luke twenty-two fifty-four. I got ahead of myself here. So that's the background. Now let's look what happened. Jesus said, before the cock crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. Verse 54. And having arrested him, that's Jesus, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. And when they kindled the fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, not one of the Pharisees, not one of the Pharisees' guards. This is a servant girl. A certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and says, This man was also with him, Jesus. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I don't even know who he is. Verse 58. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Aren't you also one of them? And Peter says, Man, I am not. Then about the third, about an hour had passed, And and another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also is with him, for he's a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I don't even know what you're saying. In fact, another version of this, he cursed. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And Luke has this account. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. I wonder what that look was like. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Faith is the strong conviction that what God said is true, even when our senses and the evidence of our senses tell me it's not and gives me reason to doubt. 
And what Satan came to test in Peter was his faith. Because your faith is what keeps you in your walk with the Lord, following him. Satan is after your faith. And it's tested when the physical evidence against the word of what the word of God says mounts to the point and there's no evidence or indication that God's word is ever going to come true. And many of you have been there. When you take God's word, it's easy to take God's word in church. It's, that's God. That's the word of God. Thank you. Praise God. And it's wonderful. When you wake up the next morning, it all happened. But a lot of times it not only doesn't happen, but things get worse. Why? Because there's pressure coming from the enemy to get you to quit. To get you to take your eyes off of the Word and get your eyes on the circumstances because then you have to start trusting in your own reasoning. You've got to trust in your own resources. See, when you're looking at God's promise, you're trusting fully in what He can do and what He will do. When you take your eyes off of His Word and put your eyes of your faith, eyes of your, of your trust on your, on the circumstances, now you rely on your own reasoning and your own experience and you're, that's when you pick, start panicking, picking up the phone and calling everybody you know and saying, pray for me, I'm in trouble! And we've all been there. Help me, I'm sinking, Lord. I've said this before, and it wasn't something I ever thought of. It was somebody else I was listening to thought of. It says Peter began to sink. Think about that. If, if I step out of a boat, I don't begin to sink. I go from in the boat to sunk. And don't pass go. So... Peter, as he took his eyes off of Jesus and on the circumstances, he didn't immediately go glub. The power to walk began to dissipate. And he didn't get his eyes back on Jesus. He got his eyes on the fact that he was sinking and most, doubtedly, most, most likely began to panic. But again, Jesus was there to bail him out. See, God isn't testing. You're not being tested to pass or fail. I better say that again. You're not being tested like you were in school to pass or fail. You're being tested to find out where you really are. Because God knows where we really are. And the devil, whether he does or not, doesn't matter. But the purpose of the test is for you to find out where you really are. Peter was confident and where he was, but what he didn't realize is where he really was was exposed to Satan because of pride. And the reason God allowed him to be tested was for him to discover where he, because he never believed. He would never believe he could deny the Lord until he did it. He was so confident in himself. But he's already prayed through it. So the purpose of the test is not to pass or fail. Well, if I fail the test, I don't go to heaven. No, that's not the purpose of the test. This isn't, getting to heaven has nothing to do with anything you do or don't do. Jesus passed that test for you. And He got a hundred, and He gave His a hundred to you. But the purpose of the test is to find out where you really were. It's been so long since I've been in school, but I kind of remember, we used to have like pop quizzes, they so they weren't pop because they were popular. They were pop because they weren't expected. 
And the purpose of the pop quiz was to jolt you to find out how much you needed to study because the real test is coming up in a week. And you think you know something, and now you find out by not having crammed the night before, you really don't know as much as you think you do. Maybe I better start applying myself. And that's what happened to Peter. That's what happened to Peter. So when our faith is being tested, it shows me what I'm really trusting in. I've found this in this thing I'm going through. There have been times when it's like, you know, listen to the Word, study the Word, meditate on the Word, and I'm doing great. Until I come right up to a test I've got to go through. And now it's facing me. See, when it was next week, I was getting strong in faith. But now that it's tomorrow morning, it's here more, it's more in my face, I found that my fear level would start going up. And what's going on? And that's because I'm still, even last week when i feeling strong, it's not, my faith wasn't 100% of God's Word. It was also the fact that I have to do this today. It's next week. It's next month. It's not today. So that cushion means I can relax a little bit. And this is very subtle stuff. Because what we... Oh, Jesus, this is good. I'm glad I'm doing this tonight because I'm learning things. We can mistake confidence for faith. That's good enough. I'm going to say it over here. We can mistake confidence for faith. Confidence can come from all kinds of things. It can come from the fact that you just got a preliminary, a, a, a good report from the doctor. You're making good progress. And now what happens is you've been standing on the Word and standing on the Word. I've seen, I've seen this happen so many times. People with a bad report from the doctor, they get a hold of the Word of God, they, they isolate themselves, they meditate on the Word of God, and now they start getting good reports from the doctor. And they'll come and tell me, Pastor, I got a good report. I said, that's wonderful. But don't take your trust off the Word of God and put your trust in the doctor's report because it's so easy to do. Oh, the doctor said I'm getting better. And now you very subtly get your confidences built up, not because you're standing on the Word, but because the doctor's encouraging you. It's wonderful the doctor's encouraging you, but you can't ever put your trust in that. Not because we distrust the doctor, we can't be standing on that. So it's very subtle what your confidence is in. And when you go through a test, a big one or a little one, it'll show you what your... Because when your confidence is in God's Word, it can't be shaken. Because God's Word doesn't change. Come never changed. Peter could have walked all the way out to Jesus and together they could have walked to the other side. Because the Word of God doesn't change from the day to tomorrow. The Word of God has not changed because of your circumstances change. It doesn't change because you suddenly get a bad report. It doesn't change because you get an eviction notice. It doesn't change because of anything that's come out of this natural world. It does not affect the Word of God, the promises of God. The promises of God are coming from God, and God cannot lie. God will not lie. And you can literally, we have, we've staked our eternal life on God's Word. But in our, until we're there, it's very easy to reach out for the boat and stand out on the water. Because I'm not ready to just completely let go yet. And so the, the value of the trials and the tests, it is, makes us really, whoa, wait a minute, I thought I was standing, and you know, I could have been on God's Word yesterday, because we're going to talk down the road about faith. Faith especially in connect lessons. There's different types of faith. 
And you can go from one type of faith to another. You're going to be in strong faith today and weak faith tomorrow. You can have strong faith in the area of finances and weak faith in the area of healing. Because it's not static. That's why we have to keep hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing the Word of God. We've got to keep putting the Word of God in us. So again, the trial is not testing you to pass or fail. The trial is so that you find out where you really were. And that's what this does for Peter. It jolts him. He did the one thing he never believed he was po- it was possible for him to do, was to deny his Lord. Now what Jesus does with him in the last chapter of John, Jesus restores Peter. There's this wonderful scene on the beach when Jesus has been crucified, raised from the dead. And now they're out fishing and they're coming back in and they see this man on the shore with a charcoal fire and some fish and he didn't go fishing. And as they get closer, I think it's John that says, I think it's the Lord. And Peter throws his outer robe, jumps in the water and goes ashore to see him. But never, notice they never ask him who he is. They don't, they don't dare. They just kind of sat with him. And after breakfast, Jesus gets up and says, Peter, come here. They start walking down the beach and he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I do. Three times Jesus says this. But if you read it in the original Greek, it's much more powerful than that. Because what Jesus says to Peter is, Peter, do you still agape me more than these? Now, I've read different treatises on what the these are that you love more. Some say it's fishings, but I believe it's this. Peter believed he loved Jesus more than the other disciples loved him. And I think Jesus is saying, do you still think you love me more than they do? Do you think you're ahead of them? Because agape love is love at the level of Jesus. It's sacrificial love. And Peter's answer is, no, Lord, you know I love you. I'm fond of you. Which is a different level of love. And Peter, and he says, well, feed my sheep. Which is what he originally commissioned him to do. Then he says to him a second time, Peter, do you still agape me? Do you still love me with a God kind of love more than these love me? And Peter says, no, no, Lord, I... I love you like a close friend, but, but not that kind of love yet. And he says, well, tend my sheep. And then a third time he says it, and Peter's grieved by this, but this time Jesus says, do you, do, you lo- do you love me as a friend like these? He met Peter where he was. What's he doing? Three times he's asking him, do you, still lo- do you love me where you really are? I've come to where you are, Peter. I've come to your level of commitment. And at that level, do you love me? Not more than these, do you love me? And Peter says, at that level, Lord, I love you. He says, okay, go do what I called you to do. He's restoring Peter. He's restoring him to the relationship. He's restoring to him, to the commission that he gave him. He's, Jesus is a restoring. Remember, he prayed him through it. And now he's going through it with him. See, when you go through a test or trial, God's going through it with you. Now, I'd love to say it spares you the pain of some of it. It doesn't. But the pain you're going through is what wakes you up to realize something's wrong here. Why? Why? Don't harden yourself. Don't condemn yourself. Well, I've done some terrible thing wrong. There's three basic reasons why you go through difficult why you're going through affliction. One is you did something wrong, and the other is you didn't do anything wrong. (laughs) But the devil's after you. 
So you can't tell from the fact that you're going through something. But what you can know is whatever it is, God's there with you, going through it with you. And, 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 and what is it I'm to learn out of it? What do I need to see about where I am? Because God already knows. Most likely people around you know. You're the one that doesn't know. And he's only doing it to come meet you where you really are so he can bring you up to another level. Jesus loves you. Now let's go over to 1 Peter. And now look at Peter now years later. And this is written by Peter to believers that were going through a terrible trial of their faith, a terrible trial of persecution. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away. This is what's waiting for you. Just as Jesus was telling his disciples, here's what's waiting for you. You're going to get to sit on the 12 thrones that dwell the judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Peter's saying, this is what's waiting for you. This is the hope that's lying before us. It's an inheritance, incorruptible, verse 4, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You, you're the subject of the next verse. You are kept by the power of God through faith. You are kept, protected, held in place by the power of God through faith for salvation. That's why Satan's after your faith. Ready to be revealed at the last time. And in this, what? In this salvation, you greatly rejoice, though now for a while, if need be, you've been grieved or distressed by various trials or tests. Why? The New King James says that the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold. But that's not actually very accurate. Because that word genuineness is a com- combination of two concepts. Which literally means the proven testedness. The proven genuineness. It comes from a word Arochimus, which means to be tested and found of value. So Peter, out of this experience that he's gone through, writing to these believers that are going through a test, a trial, in this case most likely persecution for their faith, he's saying, hold on to your faith because there's a reward waiting for you, there's a fulfillment of your salvation and a great hope waiting for you, but you've got to hold on to your faith so that you don't pull back. And understand this, this is what will help you get through it, that the tested, the proven genuineness, because you don't know how genuine your faith is until it's been proven. The genuineness of your faith is more precious than gold that perishes. I don't have time tonight to tell my testimony of, of, of how I ended up in, in this particular office or role, but it's a long story. But, but what I want to emphasize is this. I went through a period of time where I, I, I thought I was... Just, it's a long story. 
I thought I'd missed God. I thought I was in the wrong place. All kinds of things designed to move me out of here. I was tempted to leave. I was, it was just, I don't want to go through it all. All I could, there were times I had to grit my teeth. And I've never shared this publicly before. And I just dig my heels in. And said, all, all I know is this is not God telling me to go. That's all I know. It doesn't make sense. What I'm tempted to go to is appealing. I just know it's not God telling me to go. And if that means I die here with my teeth gritted, that's what I'm going to do. Because I'm not moving unless God tells me to go. And that was tested over and over again with many different ways over a long period of time. But here's why I share that with you. Because when I finally ended up in this position, I looked at myself and said, you're the least qualified to be here. You're the least qualified to be here. And I could give you whole reasons of why, from what I know of pastors, I'm the least qualified of it. But the confidence I had is God had tested me. God had tested me. And whatever he was looking for in me, he found that it passed the test so that God decided that I was, te- I was tested enough to be here. It wasn't my judgment, it was his. And from that point on, I've never questioned it. See, I was in ministry before, and I hadn't gone through that kind of test. And I was never certain whether God called me or I called myself. And as a result, I was insecure. And when you're insecure as a leader, it's terrible because you need the people to reaffirm you and tell you that you're called to be their leader. And that's dangerous for the people and it's dangerous for you. And there's a process God took me through. It's a long process where he had to wean that out of me. And then once he weaned it out of me, he put me in this place and began to test me and try me, not with temptation, but with what I just shared with you. And there were times I, I, I was frustrated. I'd flail around. I felt at one point as if God, he's holding me down with his thumb and I'm flailing around like this and he finally just wore me out. And then said, okay, now you'll listen to me. I've never shared this publicly. I've shared it privately before. But I want to tell you, I'm sure, because it was, it was a testing of it. And going through it was agony. It was horrible. Not all the time, but it was difficult. But I came through it and saw what it produced. And I can tell you that the trying of my faith was infinitely more precious than gold and silver. Though it's tested by fire and be found to be praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So whatever you're going through tonight, understand this. First of all, God would not allow you to go through it if he didn't already determine that, first of all, it's common to man. So it's nothing that Satan has up his sleeve that's never been dealt with before. Number two, not only is it common to man, God's already determined that you can go through this. In fact, he's prayed for you ahead of time so that you'll get can get through this and then he will show you either the way of escape or how to endure it but he will get you through it the second thing is he'll go through it with you he will not leave you now you may feel as if he's left you that's because you've taken your eyes off of him and you've got your eyes on the circumstance I'm going to die I'm going to die no instead of alright Lord you're here somewhere I've had some days where Lord I don't feel you I don't know where but I know you're here somewhere because you promised me you're here you promised me you're here. And when I've come to that place, that I know you're here because you promised me you're here. Ah, somewhere along the line I begin to, yeah, I see where you are now. I see where you are right now. The trying of your faith. Because see, God knows what's ahead for you. 
God knows what's He's your shepherd. Because the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not want. He may lead you through the valley of the shadow of death, but you don't have to fear any evil because He's with you. His rod and His staff will protect you. He'll pray, prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. I, I just love that picture. Say about that. Being at peace enough to sit down and enjoy a meal with your enemy across the table snarling at you, telling him he's going to devour you. Why can you do that? Because your shepherd's sitting there with you. The trying of your faith. See, the trial doesn't do this to your faith. It's when you stand, it's when you exercise in the trial. If you want to build your muscles up and give a nice physique or whatever it is, get in great shape, buy a set of weightmills and a, uh, weights and a treadmill. And they will build you up. You will go, a year from now, if you have a set of weights and a treadmill, you're going to look so buff and so strong. No, all you'll have is a treadmill and weights. And a clothes rack to put your clothes over in the laundry room. Where it's not having the weights. It's not having the treadmill. It's exercising your energy against the resistance of the weights and the treadmill. It's not the trial that proves you. It proves you that, that it's the exercise of your faith in the middle of the trial that strengthens it. No trial, there's no exercise. It's like doing, I've done my exercises today. Wow, am I getting strong? No, there's no weights to resist me. It comes from the resistance of lifting those weights. The trying of your, whatever you're going through tonight. Somebody needs to hear this desperately. It's not you. You think it's you. You think it's because you've done something wrong. I'm speaking this by the Spirit tonight. You think you're going through this because you've done something wrong. That's because the accuser of the brethren is trying to undermine your faith. Your standing before God is not based on you. It's based on what Jesus did before you. For you. you have as much right to stand in God's presence. As, if you're a Christian, and it's God's tonight, as you did the, on the best day you've ever lived for Him. It's not based on you. But if Satan can undermine your confidence before God... Then, he, you're gonna, then you're not going to sense God's with you. You're not going to have confidence that God's with you. But it's not confidence in you, it's confidence in who God is. The Bible doesn't tell you to have confidence in you, it says to have confidence in who God is. In fact, what, did Peter's, what was Peter being tested to prove him that his confidence was in himself, not in God? All God wants you to do is put your confidence in Him, your trust in Him. And if you'll just apply your faith, and even if you slip and fall, even if you start to sin, cry out to Him, and He'll rescue you. He's there with you in whatever you're going through tonight. Don't quit. But know this, that the reason Satan's after your faith is there must be some faith to go after. I'm going to say that again. The reason your faith is being tested is there must be some faith there to go after. It must be a threat to him. It's more precious than silver and gold. Because silver and gold will be left here. But your faith will be taken with you into heaven. And it will be part of what God uses you for when we get there. 
And we don't have time to get into that tonight. Let's pray. Father, only you know each one of us here tonight what's really going on in the inside. Only you know that. And so, Father, tonight we come and we, we trust you that the word we've heard tonight, we know it's come by the Spirit of God. We trust you that the word we've heard tonight, Father, has been sown into our hearts. I pray for everyone here that's going through a difficult time. Father, that the Holy Spirit will encourage them tonight. Bring back to them the words that they've heard tonight. And help them to set their eyes back on you. Satan, you're the one that takes us through these things, but you're also the accuser of the brethren. You have no right to accuse the children of the living God because we're washed in the blood of Jesus. We've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We stand holy and without, and without blame before Him in His love in Christ. And so we rebuke your accusations. Father, open the eyes of our understanding to see where we really are and then call out to you that you'll come and meet us where we are, that you may take us by the hand and lead us to the next level. For that grace, we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, before we receive the Lord's tithes and our offerings tonight, I want to ask this question. Is there anyone here tonight, you've never, I'm talking tonight to believers, but is there anyone here tonight that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ? Jesus said this, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, in John chapter 3, you must be born again. In order to get into heaven, you must be born again. I'll explain what that means in a minute. And Jesus said later on, he said, in order to get into heaven, I am the way. He is. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father unless they come through me. Say, so what does it mean to be born again? It's simply this. As an act of your will, you must ask Jesus Christ to come into your life as your Savior. It's not enough to believe He died for the sins of the world. We need to believe that. It's not enough to believe He's the Son of God. We need to believe that. But it's got to become personal to you. Where you ask Him to come into your life as the one that paid for your sins. And then you take your life as it is right now. And you put it into His hands to be your Lord. Of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Whatever condition your life is in right now, it doesn't matter. He just wants you to put it into His hands so that He can do a better job with it than you've done. Here's what I want to do. If that's you tonight, you've never done that before. I want to pray for you tonight. And I want to pray with you, but I need you to let me know by raising your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. We're talking about where you're going to spend eternity. I'm going to pray with you tonight that you may receive Christ as the entrance into heaven. Second invitation. Say, Pastor, I've done that before, but I'm not walking with him anymore. I'm not talking about going through a little dry spell. You, you know who you are. You're just not there. You're out on your own. It doesn't matter why. You may be mad at God. You may think he did something you shouldn't have done or didn't do something you thought he should have done. Or more likely, you think you did something you shouldn't have done. Or you know you've done something you shouldn't have done. And you think God's angry at you. Well, I have good news for you tonight. He's not angry.